coming up, the biggest theme park stories of 2022 and what they mean for your attraction in 2023. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the HAN Show, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences around the world. Whether you're a professional or enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. On Mondays, we break down large trends from the news and why it matters to you in our weekly Green Tagged series, co-hosted by myself and Scott Swenson. We just aired a Green Tagged episode on Monday, but this week we're airing a second episode today. Enjoy. From our studios in Los Angeles and Tampa, this is Green Tagged, Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Swenson. Scott, Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Yay! I wish I had like one of those blowers or something. I don't. It's, yeah. I don't know. I work New Year's Eve, so I was I was doing an event, so I uh, I got all that out then. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I've been recovering the last last day. You know, mm-hmm. just what Gotta it get is. The prop department on that. <laughs> just, yes, exactly. Hold on. Here, wait. Yay! <laughs> that's Perfect. a little Halloween. Okay, never mind. I tried. Well, so today, since it is. Right at the beginning of the new year, I thought we would go through some of the 2022 big stories that will have an impact in 2023. We'll talk a little bit about recovery, supply chain, the attention, wars and economy, and then some of the new technology that we've seen. And Mm -hmm. kind of those are the buckets for today. But I thought we'd start with the good news, which is the recovery, because I think we keep being reminded on how here in the US we've you know we're we're back in just as you just said we're back in the grind you know we're back in the shows producing and the seasonal stuff and we just talked about our shoulder seasons even a thing anymore we're all on that but <laughs> it's important to remember that Japan didn't even open back for tourism until this past third quarter so here's here's a kind of a excerpt from an article from the Japan Times which which was from their like 2022 roundup of like top stories. And Japan reopens fully to tourism. In the culmination of a series of steps taken throughout 2022, the country opened its borders to all arrivals on October 11th for the first time in almost three years, a move many hoped would galvanize the economy and kickstart the country's post-pandemic recovery. And for comparison, in the peak travel year of 2019, they had almost 32 million visitors to Japan, which is kind of like more, I think, than I was thinking. And they had 500,000 in October 2022. So that just paints the gap. I mean, it was just one month, right? But even if you even if you multiplied that one month out, you know, through through a whole year, you would see how far the gap is. So I think that's important as we're looking at, oh, recovery is still happening. Like, I mean, there, and we just, we, we talked a few weeks ago also about the Queen Mary, looking to reopen in 2023 which will be about three years since anybody since any event has happened at that ship and i just think um again i think we lose sight of it when we're like oh we're talking about the recession and we're all like oh everything's a bit crazy it's like look japan just reopened just now almost three years they've been closed and their tourism is finally reopening yeah and i I think that (coughs) excuse me i think that um you know, some some important thing to re- things to recognize is because it's not everything coming back at the same time at the same rate uh, in the same way. <clears throat> I think that it's going to be difficult to figure out how are things going to progress. You know, are they going to all progress at the same level? But uh, it sounds like Japan is. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. It sounds like Japan is 
as you say, starting to open those doors. And and just to put things into perspective, you know, you said um, 32 million people visited in 2019 and uh, 500,000 in just October. And just I, something I had to look up, just to look at at, at landmass of Japan. You know, I, I live in Florida. Landmass is landmass of Japan is 171% of what it is in Florida. So it's just yeah. slightly smaller than twice the size. Mm-hmm. That's a huge influx of people. And also knowing that the majority of that tourism is going to be based around key cities. So it's not, yeah. you know, there's a lot of um, rural area in Japan. So uh, that's a, first of all, the, as you said, the the 32 million people, that's huge. That's gigantic. Huge. That's a gigantic influence, influx into an already crowded country. So, you mm-hmm. know, especially in their, in their major city hubs. Um, so it sounds like that's a, a very positive, uh, positive kickstart, um, and we'll see. You know, we'll continue to follow this and see how it, uh, how it, how it moves forward, and hopefully gets the the economy going as well. Um, because let's face it, yeah. you know, getting tourism is lovely, but if it doesn't kickstart the economy, then it's just more people. You know, it, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't really serve its purpose. So I'm hoping that this will all translate into into um, financial success as well. They also did open up in China as well. You know, we, we t- again, we've talked about that for the past several weeks, but the lifting of the restrictions is being coupled by, on January 8th, an opening of the borders and allowing for uh, tourism between mainland and Hong Kong, but also between China and other places. Now there are a little bit of, you know, J- Japan is being kind of wary about allowing Chinese tourists in. Um, they're kind of, they're, there's talk about restricting them to certain airports just because of the amount of, of uh, COVID happening there, you know, or about some sort of uh, quarantine or whatever. But, but it's a big step from where it was overall, like overall people leaving China to go and visit other places and then being able to come back that is a thing that also has not happened for three, almost three years. And yeah. even though th- there might be quarantine, you know, the U.S. is talking about that too. There might be like a, a quarantine t- period or a, a testing, whatever. All that aside, you know, that'll eventually go away. O- overall, it, it's a step, a big step in that recovery of of the tourism. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of those 32 million, they come from China. I mean, you know, like it, it's much more of the tourism is, is coming from the 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 people that are closer there than it is from the US or, or whatnot. So so I'm sure that that will, as those all the borders finally open up in there, that will increase. So, Yeah, uh, another thing, you, you bring up a very interesting point, um, Philip, and that's something that has just kind of become more and more obvious to me, mainly because of what I'm doing in my own, in my own personal career. Um, the fact that, you know, I spent two weeks in Abu Dhabi and I'm about to spend another multiple months uh, there as well, because I am from because I am Florida based. I, I quite often think that Orlando is the the, the mecca and the only really uh, litmus test for measuring tourism. But that is so completely wrong. And I admit that you know my own ignorance and arrogance has has limited my my perception. Um, because you know looking at the UAE, when it comes to tourism, a gigantic chunk of it has uh, is is reported to supposed to come from china so uh mm-hmm. opening opening mm-hmm. those borders is going to be huge for the mm-hmm. uh the, the new i don't know the new birthplace of of 
the next generation of theme park, which is going to be in the Middle East. Um, I know China wants yeah. to think that they are too, but um, I, I, I think it really is happening a lot in in the Middle East, and they can they can compete for it, I guess. But I think that's going to be a huge issue because, again, we're probably not going to see a huge amount of Chinese tourists coming to the United States. We'll see some. We'll see an influx. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, to your point, it's much easier for them to go to Japan. It's much easier for them to go mm-hmm. to UAE. It's much easier for them to go to things that are um, significantly closer. I think it's the same reason that we're seeing um, increasing amounts of tourism coming from the U.S. to the Middle East, but still not mm-hmm. nearly what we're seeing coming from Europe, coming from yeah. uh, India, coming from uh, Australia. Um and, and I think it's just simply proximity. So uh, mm-hmm. one of those important things to recognize is, you know, we can sit here in the U.S. and say, well, they're opening the China borders, but that doesn't mean because of our strained relationships that that's going to impact us hardly at all. And you may be right. I don't know. But what I think you need to take into consideration is there's a bunch of people in China. And yeah. when those borders are open, they may not be coming to um, Orlando or to any of the flags parks in, in the U.S., but that doesn't mean that they're not going to impact the the, the tourism um, the tourism base uh, worldwide. So yeah. just kind of something to keep in mind that if you are listening and you're in the states, it's uh, you may think, well, we're having strained relations, so it's really not going to impact us. And you may be right, but it is going to impact the industry as a whole. And um, you need to be aware of that because, it it may mean that it will, you know, it could mean a bunch of different things. It could mean that it will drive those folks um, who don't want to go to the crowded, the newly crowded parks in other parts of the world. It may drive them to the U.S. Or it may mean that there is so much interest in these other parks that it may take tourism away from the U.S. Just be aware that you are part of a much bigger whole. That's kind of my my point that I'm trying to, to get to that I've taken a very long time to, to make it happen. But um, just be aware that even though the the opening of China borders may not affect us directly here in the States, it will certainly affect us indirectly in the attractions industry. Yeah. And I would say to that point, it's going to impact all of us kind of, I think, regardless, because it will, again, just like you are going other places to work on projects. That's the other thing is, is the talent, you know, the, the investment, we've talked about this, wow, since the show started, which again, has been this past um, pandemic whole cycle, but now we're seeing more clearly that it's back on track, but the original track was that China was trying to become the Orlando of Asia. They were trying to become the capital. And you, I mean, we saw, you know, something that I think we've kind of forgotten is that, you know, Universal Beijing opened during this, this whole, I mean, right. there's a whole new theme park there and no one has been able to really get in to see it, you know, and even domestically haven't been able to visit it. So again, the board's opening up, there's a whole new theme park a whole new, very large, very expensive, very good, very good theme park that people can now go visit. And there's been all these expansions in Tokyo as well. And so, you know, these places were moving to position themselves and you have the UAE as well. And, you know, that again, it really is like, it's good news for all of us because we'll have, you know, there's opportunities for work in those areas, but I, I it is, that was the plan was really to say, you know, instead of, you needing to leave China, you can just go up to Beijing and see Universal, this new park, instead of having to fly to Japan. And then, you know, in the Japanese that already have seen all their their parks, they can go like, that was the plan. And but we're getting back on track. But, but um, on that note, I think the next big 
box here is, is supply chain stuff, which we've been talking about forever. And I feel like we're gonna still be talking about it for a little bit. There's a great article that was put out from the South China Morning Post, and it really just outlines everything that we talked about in the last episode, but much more eloquently <laughs> about, about why the, the supply chain issues are kind of just getting started uh, in mainland China. And uh, I'll read a little excerpts here, but you know, China is racing against time to stabilize its workforce and domestic production as widespread COVID-19 infections test the country's capability to fulfill overseas orders and threaten its status as the world's preeminent manufacturing hub. And the infections have spread to small cities and rural areas, which will reduce the number of migrant workers returning to work after the Lunar New Year, which falls on January 22nd. So, and it kind of goes through everything. It talks about how investors are kind of bringing up demands and the whole thing that, that we deal with all the time, which is, you know, kind of like the China will promise one thing, but then, you know, when you're they'll say the deadline is this, or, you know, you'll have people say deadlines, but then as we all know, whenever anyone who works in China knows that like deadlines mean something very different <laughs> right? in, 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 in the culture. Right. And, and they'll kind of just tell you whatever you want to hear. Um, and so you, you get a lot of that in the article about investors being like, you know, we have other options now, but now that they've had a force to look outside for options, now there are other options, which means they can hold the kind of the, the Chinese, uh, hubs to more, to more of what we would think of as like Western standards. Like these are deadlines, you have to meet this or this, you know, we're gonna go somewhere else because now we have options because we spent three years exploring options. So it's a very interesting article that kind of paints, a, you know, a much better picture than than us kind of yammering about it, but under underscores how the question of supply chains will continue to be an issue. And to something that Scott had said previously is that this is just one pandemic, right? So what happens when there's another one? Or I mean, I think this is going to be a continued problem. So, and and you mentioned it as a problem, but I'm also going to throw it out there as a as really, you know, glass half full, glass half empty. Do you feel? And I'm asking you, Philip, simply because you have a much better uh, or or more um, more direct understanding of the the China being the hub of of manufacturing in the world. Um, do you feel that there? there truly is a a threat on this status or do you think that they will be able to adapt to um <clears throat> increased competition really because as you said we've been forced to find other other ways to get the the raw materials and sometimes the very technical materials that we need in different parts of the world do you think that this competition will will be something that they can deal with based on the chinese culture or is this something that will Will it will it makes that will it make them better or will it make them shut down? I guess is really my question. Mm. That is an excellent question. And, and obviously, I did not prep Philip that I was going to ask this question. So that's I, I want to stall to give him as much time to think through it. And he maybe he may simply come back and say, "I don't know," and we'll move on to the next topic. But I was just it just came yeah. to my head as we're, as we're looking at this because I'm thinking we all know that China for many, many years has been the hub of manufacturing because it yeah. is, they have a bunch of workers, they have, uh, you know, uh, labor, they have labor, they don't have labor issues like we do in many, many other places in the world. Um, and there is a certain cultural commitment to working that we don't yeah. have in many other places in the world. So I, I don't know, what's, do you have a gut feeling on this or or, or even just a random guess? I, I think that, it could go so many different directions 
And I think that that's, you know, that's a, when it, with any of these complicated systems, like these complex systems, I think it could go any direction. And I think overall, though, the concept that you raise of increased competition, I think that will overall be a good thing. It's always a good thing. You know, we, I think that we were way too, as this has shown, we were way too reliant on China as, as a, a production, as a manufacturing hub, you know, we're, and it's, and that's just not good at all. So I think overall, again, the arc of this in, in, in large, large, large strokes, the competition, even perceived competition will be better because I think it will help. You're even seeing it now in the article lays out how they're, you know, the, that the dock workers and the dock companies are trying to incentivize people to not go back home and trying to give them bonuses. And like, nobody used to care, like nobody, you know, it, previously it was like, this is what it is. And you just accept it or you, you know, and they wouldn't, a lot of places wouldn't take smaller runs or specialized runs, or there was just a lot of kind of like, we don't have to care basically. And we just get whatever. So you are, I think that's going to help, you know, even that they're trying to keep them there to get through the backlog. They didn't previously care, you know? So I think that overall the, the increased competition will be useful, but there's just, there's too many compounding factors of like, you know, there, there are, just like we've seen with Apple moving. I mean, there are a lot of other countries that can manufacture and that want to manufacture. Um, but then again, I think the way that we're looking at it at Gantam is kind of understanding that any disruption like that, like it doesn't matter. Like the next COVID could break, like so you, you could move everything to Mexico and the next COVID outbreak could happen in Mexico <laughs> or, you know, the, the next, the next pandemic could happen in Mexico and then the borders get shut. And then like, what are you going to do? So I think it, it's more about like, we need to, we are too small to have multiple lines, like to have multiple manufacturing hubs around the country. So for us, we're really much more looking at it in terms of like, can we break it? Can we break the chain into pieces and how much cost does that add? And then could we, how much of it could we bring to the U.S.? Because, and not to sound nationalistic about this, but it's it's like, you know, at least we know that we're going to, you're going to be able to drive from like one state to the next state, even if there's another huge thing in this area, you know, where you, so we're kind of more thinking about how can we really control it. And this is a sentiment that I've heard from a lot of other people, including like B. Morrow, Brian, you know, talking about they got a new building specifically because they wanted to be able to have a prop fabricator and a metal worker and a carpenter and a painter in their own building right, right. there. So they can. And the interesting thing is, you know, you that actually ties directly to what you were saying about bringing parts and pieces of the supply chain, because with BMP or with any other organization that's trying to bring some stuff in-house, that doesn't mean that they're going to fabricate absolutely everything that they that they that they book in-house. They will still use outside contractors, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it means that when push comes to shove, they can either um, do something to keep them afloat if, you know, all of the, the chains, all of the walls go back up. Um, or they can finish things that have already been started. Uh, yeah. They can get things, you know. But I, I think your I think your approach of of <clears throat> shopping shopping for the best things from the best places is probably a very wise move. Now, granted, when you're dealing with something complex like electronics or lighting equipment, etc., all you need is the one piece that you can't get, and that means you can't complete a fixture. I do understand that, um, but at the same time, it it means that you don't have to. You it makes it easier to pivot. 
Let me put it that way. It makes it easier yeah. to pivot. And and what's interesting is what we're seeing um, is it's not just technology that is being exported. It's not just um, food that's being exported. It's not just crude oil that's being exported. It's labor that is being yeah. exported from, yeah. from many different countries. And I think each country is now trying to find what is it that we have that we can put out there into the supply chain. I mean, a perfect example, I, I stumbled across a story not too long ago that with the Philippines, for example, their number one export is labor. Mm -hmm. um, they are exporting workers to, and especially in the attractions industry, to yeah. places that need workers who are willing to work for a certain wage, who are who are um, amenable to <clears throat> living in, in dorm scenario housing, in... Uh, Sort of. So I think that by you as a company looking at, I'll go here for this, here for this, here for this, is a great way for com com countries to look at what is their export. How can we focus so that they can keep those specific lines open so that if the the holes in the walls between countries narrow again because of pandemic, um, they can focus and figure out, okay, how do we keep our economy going with this part of it? Does that make yeah. sense? So it's, it sounds like I'm saying diversify, but don't diversify. And, yeah. I, and I realize that's a little confusing. But Well, it, it, but it, it's the classic uh, kind of like economic argument, right? Which is specialization, you know, kind of versus being more nationalistic. And, and that's kind of like, I, I think that's why I'm saying it's complicated. Because I, I think you could easily see China go down that road and say, re-examine it and say, really what makes us specialize like you know the philippines like you're saying the philippines like we're labor let's just go all in on labor and you could see china be like you know maybe we're losing the chip war so we should pivot to healthcare and we should just you know ai and we should and data and we should just go in on that i mean but on the flip side you you also see you know you could see them going in also like a, a more nationalistic, just like I was talking about, like, you know, if, if we right. could keep everything right. in our country and, and China, you know, that's what they were thinking with, with the theme park stuff is like, you know, instead of, instead of people needing to travel to go to see all this stuff, if we had it here, they could travel domestically. Then they keep all of that within the country, which is better. You don't, and you want people spending in the country and then other people coming to you to buy stuff. You don't want people leaving the money, leaving the country. So I think they could easily go either direction. You know, where they could be like, let's let's try and make it so that we get worse, completely self-sustaining. And or they could be like, let's focus in on this one thing to export it. And and that was our previous model. Right. Globalization was the model of like each each region has a specialty and you get the most value, economically speaking, if you are a specialist and you trade your specialized thing for another thing. But then we've seen the pandemic show the kind of the, the constraints of that. Well, and you've, you've heard us both use the phrase, it's when, when the pandemic first hit, we said, and when we first started to think we were coming out of it, um, we said, it's the wild west, you know, the, yep. the, what, all the things that we've known as far as these are the, the ways to do business are being questioned and are being shuffled. Um, and, and I think to your point, because of its complexity, uh, we're still learning what that, that new normal or that new successful is going to look like. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, next bucket here is kind of the the war of attention, which we have talked about so much. But but it, again, it's it's a it's a it's a big piece of of 2023. It's going to just get get um, larger. And and for me, there are three big uh, kind of like stories ish um, 
to this 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 chapter, which the first is the dominance of TikTok, which just continues to it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a, a bigger thing than it has been, uh, because. In the, in the the recent spending bill, right there was a provision that banned TikTok on government devices, and it was passed. It went. I mean, it it and you know it's kind of like anytime our government agrees on anything, you should take notice. And everybody agreed about banning TikTok on government devices, and that is the biggest red flag I have seen recently for the case that TikTok might get banned. Because there's a bill already out there that has been proposed for banning TikTok in the U.S. And just keep in mind that all the U.S. social media is already banned in China. So it's not like this is like, you know, I and mean, this is already, it's already a thing. And it's just, it's, if anything, it's unusual that we would allow kind of a Chinese-owned um, social media in a different country. But anyway, I think that's my bucket one. My, my, Section two is the streaming wars, right? If in case we forgot, CNN Plus closed after just like they they did it a month thing and then they closed after one month. They went out, they went just went out of business, right? So, um, and then of course we saw when uh, Bob Iger came back and the big thing was fixed streaming. So I think streaming as as a as a bucket that's going to see a lot of disruption. And my third thing is just Twitter. Right, just like the whole Twitter wars with Elon and that whole thing, like a whole social media platform being bought by by one person is just that's it, it should it's kind of when you when you look at twitter and then you look at the the tiktok stuff and then you look at the street you're like uh it, there, there's there's going to be a lot of stuff happening well and, and, and again as once again as the old guy um these are the same kinds of arguments that happened when the internet happened the yeah. the idea of of the internet you know let's go back which really is not ancient history, kids, but let's let's go back to the earliest days of the internet. The whole purpose of the internet was so that no one could really control the flow of information from one centralized location. Mm-hmm. Um, or the the more accurately, the the saving or storage of information in any one centralized location. Once it hit the internet, it had the opportunity to live uh, to live. Um, so the fact that we are we are looking at three very specific buckets that. <clears throat> In true form, once something is is successful and becomes part of our lives, um, there are ways to monetize it, and um, so I, I, these are these are definitely things that we're going to have to look at. I don't think there's going to be um, a specific trend that we are going to see. I mean, if you had said when Twitter first came out, if you had said, "Yeah, somebody's going to buy it, and and they're going to they're going to do this or do that, and they're going to control it," and they're going, people would have laughed at you. People would have laughed at you. Um, the fact that TikTok, which most of us see, or many of us see, as sort of this innocuous, um, silly form of entertainment that pops up as potential clickbait on other forms of, of social media, um, has been banned on government devices. It may not be as innocuous as we think it is. That's what I think yeah. is really interesting. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's gonna it's really gonna impact us and how we continue to grow in the world of entertainment attractions. Yeah, I agree, and and I think what I wanted to draw the the through line to to kind of wrap the section up. It may seem on its surface like this doesn't have much to do with the theme park stuff, but again, I would argue again the bucket is attention economy. Attention is attention, and more and more so, we're competing more with attention overall. As technology grows, as 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 what you can do on your device and in your home grows, you're competing for technology overall. And I mean, that's I think all you need to do is is look to Disney to see why 
this is so important. This whole concept of understanding your IP and your distribution and your your offline contact with the with the it's it's not just about where you're going to advertise your theme park, right? It, it it's about the ecosystem and about understanding that we are part of the attention ecosystem as attractions. Right. And the thing with Disney is Disney has been uh, was the pioneer in in multi-platform entertainment. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that Disneyland exists is, is so that you could live the movies, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so of course, they're going to be the the ones who are going to be the the loudest about fixing this very important tentacle in the octopus that is, or, or the squid because there's a lot more legs. Um, that is that is Disney. You know, they they, they have to get that fixed because they recognize this is a huge entertainment platform that if it starts to sour, it's going to be felt in the other areas. It's going to be felt in the live attractions. It's going to be felt in the the film production world. It's going to be felt in the music world um, because let's face it, Disney music is still pretty significant as well. So uh, it's it's interesting. It's very interesting that they're the ones who are saying, yeah, we got to fix this. And they're absolutely right because they don't want to become another CNN plus. (laughs) <laughs> and technology are <laughs> our, our less speaking of CNN plus technology the last bucket I think again time is weird right but in in the past several years you know we've seen uh, enormous developments in the experience of going to attractions and that comes from reservations and I mean if again back to the, the this all these stories if, if you had told someone in 2019, you're not gonna be able to go to Disneyland or Disney World unless you get a reservation. And if your family has conflicting reservations, they're not gonna be able to go. And it's like that, people have been like, what is, what? And here we are, it's the, right? But there's also the mobile ordering, there's the security scanners, right? We just walk through. There's all the app development, there's the interacti- the interactives that are now pretty ubiquitous through different brands. There's all this that is, you know, relatively speaking, it's very new when it when when you compare the timetable of how long Disneyland's been open versus how long technology has really shaped the experience uh, that we're seeing. And that's just going to get in my opinion just further in this 2023 2023 with the development of AI. We've seen recently ChatGPT take off and all the things you can do with that which potentially could also revolutionize pieces of the the guest journey, right, as, as they have interactive chatbots or whatnot. And then also the content creation side of it. Creating content is definitely much easier now that you have the AI uh, ability to, to augment what you're doing. So, Yeah, I, <clears throat> I'm going to hang on. Uh, I'm going to hang on tooth and nail to human interaction for as long as I possibly can. Yeah. Um, because I truly believe that that is that is the core of all of this. Um, all of these things are to, you know, when we talk about AI and, and all of this is to hang on to that, it is based on that ability, the ability for humans to communicate with humans. So I, I think that, yes, the technology is going to be a tool. And here's my odd prediction looking forward, and that is um, I think some of the the mobile ordering, the, I won't even call it time ticketing, the reservationist uh, approach to theme parks, I think that's going to backfire. And I think it's going to mm-hmm. backfire within the next two years. Um, because I think people are going to say, I don't want to work that hard to have fun. Um, I realize there are advantages to it, but there are significantly, and it's not going to take long for people to recognize there are more advantages to the parks than to the individuals. Yeah. And and I think they're going to all of a sudden go, I just won't go. I'll go over here because they're not doing it. And, and I think quite honestly, here in the States, at least Universal's banking on that. So 
<clears throat> we will see. But, uh, and maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong about things before, but uh, <clears throat> I think that that's one of those situations where they're going to really reevaluate, look at it and see, does this really do for us what we want it to do? Um, well, I know that we've done what we wanted to do, and that was to fill 30 minutes of your time uh, this week with Green Tag Theme Park in 30. So on behalf of Philip and myself, Scott, we are going to say a Happy New Year, and we will see you next week here on Green Tag Theme Park in 30. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Haunt Topic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, haunters, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.